Hello, everyone, and welcome to Bridging the Gap. This week's episode, we're going to chat a little bit about Volta Algarve in this past week in World Tour bike racing. Yeah, that's right. We're going to talk about what was, a, I, I think, a pretty good pretty good race in Portugal. Uh, it's always fun to see. It's a country you don't, we don't visit a lot in cycling as much as we, as much as we should. So I was happy to see the, uh, the Portuguese scenery, see the riders do these climbs that we've, that we've come to know over the past couple of years. Yeah. I think it's one of my favorite, um, really early week long or five day stage races that we get. Um, I generally prefer it just because we do get more talent at Elgar than we do at other races. Um, that always makes it special, but yeah, the scenery is really cool. And I do like the parkour a lot. Um, there's always a TT, which is always adds a good dynamic to the race, but just the fact that there's never like a crazy high, hard mountain day. Um, but the mountain days or mountains in quotes, they were just more like punchier cat one, cat two climbs like today's, finish or stage five the last one finished up a two, two and a half at 10 percent, which is again it's a hard i mean it's yeah it's hard but it's not a it's it's the equivalent of what you would expect at this point this point in the season we don't need to see riders going up alp duez montfon two at, at this right. point in the season and it and it gets separation enough separation on the road that you can Mm-hmm. You can still decide the GC. Right. Well, and like, you know, a stage like this that happens in the middle of a grand tour, that's would be a similar profile, wouldn't really mean much to the race. Yeah. Odds are a breakaway is winning it. That's 10 minutes up the road or something. Right. Uh, so to have these types of stage profiles be more uh, important to the general classification for the race is fun because then you get to see how these guys race that race on this kind of parkour yeah exactly well i guess let's uh first i want to talk about the the sprint stages there we sort of had two of them one mm-hmm. had some had some interest the second one had some interesting sprinters in it but the first <laughs> one kind of kind of standard what we what we expected on paper gerben Tijen, the the belgian sprinter took it took the victory there uh from the ef rider marine vandenberg Two two talented sprinters who have kind of been on the uh, on the up and up, but haven't haven't broken into that sort of sprinting echelon that we expect, like the the Philipsons mm-hmm. and the Van Arts and the Cavendishes and and whatnot. But yeah. yeah, they're definitely not. It's like they're B tier sprinters for sure at this right. time. I think Gerben Gerben Teason has got a lot of talent. He's super super rapid. Um, yeah. he's won a couple of other races, including some one days in Belgium, uh, over the past few seasons. And every time he wins, uh, he always just seems to do it quite handily. Yeah. Uh, he was very, very quick on stage one. And he, again, not the, not the craziest competition. Like we said, Marin Vandenberg, who is, yes, he's a sprinter, but I would almost classify him more in towards like a one day kind of rider with a really good kick. Um, like, I don't think going forward in Marin's career, he'll be like a pure sprint guy. I think he's 
like a almost a mix between like a Magnus Court and maybe someone who's like a little faster, it's like a slightly yeah. faster Magnus Court to me, or like a Michael Matthews maybe. Yeah, I don't know if so he has. It, I don't know if he has the the punch to get up the climbs that Michael Matthews has, mm-hmm. but um, he, I, he is a he is a very promising rider. I, I yeah. see. Um, but yeah, another thing about Gerben Tiesen, I don't know if you. This was at the very end of the season last year, but he got he got in trouble last year for uh, Tour of Guangxi doing the doing racist racist gesture with the other sprinter on oh. on Intermarche, Didn't... Mads Mattis Michels. Um, I did not know it was them. I remember that story yeah. coming out and not being shocked. I just remember that they were Belgians. Yeah, which so which is not, not being shocked by that. Not surprising. I, yeah. I didn't but, realize it was him. That's a bummer. No, I mean, it could be any, like, really any continental European. I mean, it could be. It could have been. It could have been anybody. But yeah, the fact that the fact that they were that they were Belgian is sort of not, like yeah, that's that's not shocking. Yeah, but yeah, too bad. Especially because the team made a made a deal about like, oh yeah, he's gonna be. We're gonna we're gonna do something about this. They're gonna they're gonna face penalties. And I think they they like supposedly faced all their penalties in the off season, so they didn't they didn't race in China, and then they like went and helped out like teach kids how to ride their bikes, and that was their penalty. They had to like help the junior team, and that was their penalty. But yeah. hopefully, it's something he's learned from and is able to put that put that behind him. But yeah, whenever I whenever I see him win now, that's that's what I that's just the first thing that I think of because that was the the sort of first interaction that i had with him it's like oh he's the the racist guy from the guy who did the racist gesture yeah that's tough i did not realize that was him yeah um yeah it's weird because i like in my mind like um quinn simmons and antonio tiberi and like johnny muscone you know like i already have a group of guys that have done shady things in my head and for some reason like i remember this story coming out but i don't remember being like remembering who it was and adding to that said group because now it's like i know quinn's come a really long way um just from like you could tell just by the way he carries himself these days compared to when he was 19 obviously grew up a lot but uh and antonio tiberi from killing killing a cat yeah, not funny, but <laughs> such, a, funny. such a strange. I mean, it's one of those things that is such a cycling story mm-hmm. that's like, like you like try and try and show your friends cycling, and then you're like, <laughs> oh yeah, this this one of the one of the athletes who is supposed to be in this race, he got he got let go because he killed the mayor's cat. Like, I, like <laughs> I think the fact that it was the mayor's just added so like it was an episode of a cartoon yeah just like the what's the what's the most cartoonishly evil thing you can do like and then Uh, and then of course like he gets signed by oh yeah bahrain Bahrain. yeah Yeah. but have a nice career at bahrain and at some point i'm sure it'll be forgotten about yeah and he'll be able to go ride for other teams too but for now bahrain's the only one yeah, um, just such a such a strange 
support. But, but, yeah. yeah. Anyway, I guess Gervin's got to get grouped in with those guys now. Who? Yeah, just like the whenever he whenever he wins, there will be somebody that posts the picture of him doing that. The, was a, that was the thing. He 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 made a like a racist gesture and po- posted it to Instagram, and it was just yeah, like the the fact that he thought it just... would get any any sort of traction. And it's like, oh look, I'm in China. I mean, it got I'm traction. Yeah, it got it got traction. But the fact <laughs> that he's like, it's so out of the blue to be like, oh yeah, people the people are gonna love this. At that point, you just gotta question this guy's intelligence. No. Yeah. Yeah. Like he just must be so dense to just be living like, in the living in the like 1800s. Yeah, or just maybe he just lives in Belgium and never yeah. leaves his like small town. Other yeah. than to go race, like and he's still on a like Belgian team. He's a Flanders guy who doesn't like the people from Southern Belgium, and yeah, right. Like, oh, I don't like racing in France. They they smell funny. Like, yeah, right. He's yeah. I mean, or he just you know doesn't understand clearly yeah. because he just posted it himself. Yeah, and it, <laughs> everyone else's reaction was just, like, dude, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah, and he yeah. was. Probably, I'm sure, taken aback a bit by the negative response he got from it. Right. So, but, and then, yeah, he's. I mean, he's been he's been winning so far this year, so it obviously hasn't had that much. The whatever penalty he had to pay from Intermarche didn't, yeah, didn't cost him much. But no. then in that in that second sprint, what that was stage three at that point, mm-hmm. it was an interesting lead out from Intermarche because they just they made it. They started it way too early, it seemed like to me. Yeah. Well, they took over really hard with three of their guys total. Yeah. Um, it was with I, with too it, far too far to go f- to have three people. Yeah. It was and Adrian then, Petit, who was the guy right in front of Gervin. And I'm not sure who the oh Mike Toynison was yeah. the rider in front of Petit. Who's but an they came in really man. strong. They're, I mean, they're both they're both good leadout men and very good. Tennyson, I mean, he's he's been a yellow jersey at the tour from a, from winning a sprint stage. Like, mm-hmm. but yeah, they just they Tennyson sort of went off to the side of the road and started his sprint early, and then Gerben Tiesen was left to to open his sprint with like three hundred meters to go and just got passed by three yeah. other three other riders. That that well, one was won by. Wout, I think, but yeah, and again, like back to Inter Marche's lead out there. I think that they just underestimated the wind, and it was just like the slightest little uphill. Yeah, I don't even want to call it an uphill; it's like a false flat. That the, those things that matter in sprinting that you wouldn't really notice otherwise. Right, it's like okay when the when you're hitting your last fifteen pedal strokes and you're really dying at that point. Yeah, um, it's like that not knowing or maybe they were unaware that the, the road rose up a little bit at the end there because he was. Yeah, I mean, he had to sprint super early, but he also kind of like paused a little bit like he hit the front with like 250 and he gets out of the saddle and you can kind of tell that he's not sprinting full or at least trying not to sprint full and he's waiting for guys to start jumping behind him before he really jumps hard, but he just didn't have it. And I think even right. being on the front, he was just done for. And yeah, Wout was third wheel and he had just the cleanest run at him. 
But yeah, an interesting podium for a sprint stage because we had Wout Van Aert who won. That much is mm-hmm. not surprising. We know he's a he's a good s- sprinter. He's won bunch sprints in the Grand Tours before. But then mm-hmm. Rui Oliveira, who I think of as more of a time trialist, um, and even a, even a cl- track guy. Climb. He's pretty quick. Yeah. He is he is pretty quick, but he's he isn't isn't somebody who I know to have ever won a sprint stage before. But yeah, still pretty still pretty quick. And then Marius Meyerhofer, um, who won won this bunch sprint at Cadell Evans, the reduced sprint at Cadell Evans last year. But another like not a not a bunch sprinter by any means. So for the, those no. three to pass Gerben and the kind of reduced group that was there, Jasper Stuyven, Magnus Court, Rasmus Tiller, those are all names I would have expected to see higher up in the group than they were. But the, it was it did seem to be a, a smaller group because I think in the corners going into the final kilometer there was a, a crash, maybe twenty or thirty wheels back. That there um, was one rider went down in the last K. Yeah, but then Is when you saw the, yeah, but then when you saw the like, it, it, I think it it slowed the bunch up a little bit because there was mm-hmm. some there were some gaps definitely that the three k rule, yeah, fixed. But um, yeah, maybe there were some riders who were planning on the late rush who didn't get didn't get the chance. Yeah, I think it was just not the most uh, deep sprint field, definitely which not. is fine. I mean, if I'm a team. And I'm going to Algarve. I'm not going to be bringing my A sprint team, and nor should you. With races like Oman and UAE happening over in the Middle East, it's like a lot of sprint teams are over there right now. And um, yeah, there's no reason to really send a top top sprinter to Algarve. But it's funny for Marius Meyerhofer. The only thing I can still remember about this kid is when he got second at junior worlds to Remco. It's like the only memory I have of this guy. Cause yeah. it was quite impressive, but um, I'm glad to see that he's on tutor. Now I think him and Marco Brenner, um, good idea for the two of them to switch over because they, they, just they didn't, have, have, didn't seem to have much luck on their previous teams equivalent with their talent. Yeah. I mean, Marco Brenner was like the next Remco. I mean, not. I don't think that he had the same expectation. People had the same expectation of him in terms of instant success in the world tour, like it was for Remco. But he was like the first kid after Remco, him and Quinn, to go world tour directly from juniors. So yeah, it was like and, a big deal. Yeah, hasn't seen the talent that Remco has. No, but he's definitely more talented than his result. Like. At least it, it seems like he could be more talented, but I don't. Yeah. I just don't think DSM was the right place for him to to go. And I think same with Marius. He's pretty pretty quick. I mean, winning Cadell Evans is a really impressive result, um, and he's got some top some podiums in Europe and stage races, but nothing nothing big yet. Right. Um, so it'll be f- interesting to see how he gets on. Yeah. Another another Tudor signing that I'm interested to see is Michael Storer, the Australian who was on mm-hmm. FDJ for a couple of years. Um, he he won two stages of the Vuelta a couple of years back um, when he was still on 
DSM, I want to say, or Sunweb or whatever, whatever team it was yeah. at the point. But DSM then didn't seem to have much at his his move to FDJ. Yeah, um, for for whatever reason. Um, That's a tough one, I think. Still I mean, a pretty a pretty young rider. He's twenty six. Twenty six. He won yeah. and he did win. He won the Tour de Lane last year. KOM jersey at the Vuelta España and two stages at the Vuelta as well. So he's he's a talented rider. Mm-hmm. One of these Australian climbers we've come to come to know. But yeah, I would love to love to see him succeed. He seems like a good a good rider to to see in the climbs and maybe somebody who Tudor can build a build a team around if they're if they're looking to get those grand tour invites in the future. Yeah. It, for me, um, like Michael store going to FDJ, I was at first excited about, and then it seemed like they didn't have a plan for him whatsoever. Right. You know? Like they signed him and then they were like, okay, um, we're just going to kind of pop you in these races and win if you can, and maybe help out, Godu or Thibaut were at these other races. There wasn't like, okay, we're going to sign Michael Storr and we want him to turn him into a like week-long stage race rider or a Grand Tour rider. They were just kind of like throwing him around. And I think that's the limitation of some teams. Like you go to an FDJ and I don't think that they have the, the foresight or the resources to to be able to take a rider with talent and really hone in on it and and get them to where they need to be. Right. And I think that's why just in general these teams lose out on signing talented riders. Especially I mean for FDJ they get lucky because they get a lot of just French kids that they can just sign and up. They, even in the junior ranks they they or the junior and the U twenty three ranks they they get a lot of those they're good at developing that talent. It seems like, mm-hmm. um, like the riders, Lawrence Pithy is one who comes to mind as one of their younger riders, Lewis, Lewis Askey, Sam Watson. Um, yeah, but where's Lewis Askey and Sam Watson to me are like kind but of they, they, the opposite way, but they, but they did well in U 23, I guess is what, I, yeah. what I'm saying. Like they, they, they did well on the FDJ Diva. Devo team, and then they haven't been yeah. able to. Jake Stewart is a similar one, like rocking it in U23s with FDJ, able to make it world tour from a, from that Devo team, and then not much to show for that for that transition. Still, still there, kicking it, but not not winning races really. Yeah, I'd imagine those riders will be out soon. Especially with FDJ having Roman Gregoire and Lenny Martinez and still go do. I mean, that's clearly their focus. Um, yeah. So they're they're always going to be a French team. Yeah. I don't think. I don't think. I think talented English speaking or Italian or Spanish riders are going to be are are going to be pointed elsewhere eventually, and right. I think that'll be interesting. Jake Stewart, once he gets over this this injury, 
I mean, he came second at Omloop a couple of years ago. Like that was a, that was a impressive performance. And he, he's had a win since then at a tour of the Alps stage, I want to say, but um, hasn't shown the, the level of talent that, I, that we would have expected for a, as talented as a U23 rider that he was. Yeah. I think Lawrence Pithy is the one kid so far. I mean, not so far because what like Watson and Lewis Askey and Jake Stewart have been pretty good. Like they haven't been bad, right? No, not at all. Um, so I don't want to say that they haven't been bad, but I just think that we are have expected a little bit more from them at the world tour level. But Lawrence Pithy, he's second year now world tour. So we'll see how it gets on. But winning Cadello, the Cadell Evans Great Ocean Road Race is tough race to win. Um, so it's a good place for him to start for his second year world tour. And we'll see how he gets on at FDJ. But yeah, as you said, kind of if you're not French, it's probably not the career team for you, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to hard to see riders really succeed there, I think. Yeah. That are not that are not even even the French riders, to be honest. I think <laughs> Damar yeah. Damar is probably their most successful. For sure. It's I mean Thibaut Pinot is their most popular, but Damar won tour tour stages. He won the points classification at the Giro at least once, maybe mm-hmm. maybe a couple times, and he won a monument. He won Milano San Remo all on FDJ. So that's he's he was their biggest rider, and they really they didn't see him as as somebody worth keeping around. It seemed like no, it was so. pretty dumb. They yeah. value sixth place at the Tour GC with Godu more than Arnold Dumas, yeah, which is just silly to me. But yeah, oh well, that's the French teams. Yeah, what did you uh, what did you make of the climbs that we that we saw back in the uh, Volta Algarve? The first one I I found the first climbing stage, stage two, I found interesting because it always seems to be one of these climbs that doesn't get the separation enough to have a sole leader it's so we get these kind of reduced bunch sprints in the last k mm-hmm. um so this oh. year it was it was danny martinez and remco who are the two battling it out and we still saw seconds of separation but yeah no, no i um minute plus gaps yeah it was a really fun stage to watch um what's the climb alta de foya is the final climb and it comes it's seven and a half K at 6%, but it's kind of uphill for the last, what is that? Like 30 K, um, 35 K. They do a cat three climb. That's three K long. Going to go up and down a little cat two climb. That's almost four K long. And then don't really descend off of that and then hit Alta de Foya. So the groups already slimmed down a bit, which is fun. So like even though the final climb isn't super difficult on paper, it's already been quite hard for the last twenty five k before they hit the base. Uh, but what I liked about this stage is about seventy five k to go. Uno X tried some really <laughs> interesting tactics, and this is I just loved watching it because it's like yeah. Um, so launching across to the break of six or seven. At the time, you already have a rider up there, and you send Andreas Lechtenson, your GC guy, uh, with one other teammate, and you just launch across the break, and your idea is like, okay, 
give Lechnison the biggest head start possible for Alto de Foya, which that's how these teams like Uno X have to race. I think I, I, I like, I just appreciate them taking that risk. Yeah. It's right. Yeah. I think it's, it's easy to, I don't know if make fun of is the right word, but like <laughs> yeah. you, you see it and you're like, no, this isn't going to be successful. Like you're going to get, you're going to get caught on the final climb, but mm-hmm. I would rather see that sort of racing than just watch nobody make any moves ever. Right. And but let me see ask the you sprint. this. Let me ask you, what were Lechtenstein's chances of winning if he stayed in the group? He wasn't, no, no, not at all. Yeah. None. I mean, and what no, are his chances winning from that little break move? Like, like 10, 10, 5, 10%. 5%, 5% but that's better than none. <laughs> right. Right. So like and giving yourself that door, I think it's yeah. like, it's like, okay, just, just go for it. And like, right. You're not really relying. I mean, you're obviously you're relying on your team's talent and ability, but you're also hoping for a little bit of miscommunication and some, yeah, some errors from the teams chasing behind and right. And every it's now still, and then it's, it works. It's pretty impressive to, it's so impressive to be able to, it was like a, at the start of, it was like a, three or four minute gap that he had to bridge and with a rider with a uno x rider already up in the group ahead so to to have the four of them have that communication and make it successful was it was pretty pretty well done um yeah and it was funny the first like probably the first half of the bridge attempt the uno x rider up front was still rolling turns yeah but just just like just rolling over, you know, not pulling. No one in the group was really pulling too hard. Everyone was just kind of rolling over the top of each other. But you could see him doing that. And then they got about halfway and then he dropped to the back and didn't pull again. And I'm surprised because the last like minute that they had to close took a little bit longer than I thought it was going to take at least. Uh, like they got, you know, they shut down two two of the three minutes but then that last minute took a little bit longer. I was surprised that they didn't drop the rider back out from the break to go help them, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But then it, it, they had a, they did have a cool little moment of celebration uh, when they finally bridged. Just fun yeah. to see they were all like hands in the air cheering. Like, yeah. Like, the, just, like, so like, like, like when you're, when your buddy gets back on the group ride, you're like, Hey, let's yeah, go. You made it. Yeah. But no, nah, yeah, it was, it was fun. Like, uh, I just like seeing teams trying tactics yeah. that aren't just sit sit on, you know? Yeah, I completely agree. I expected Lucknessen to have a little bit more and be able to stay with the final group a little bit more Yeah, than he did. But, it, yeah, I enjoy seeing that, especially in races, in one-day races, where moves like that have the chance to pay off more so because you don't mm-hmm. just have the stage you have the whole the whole race you can win seeing seeing moves like that go are more likely to define the whole race in one day one day classics so i i love i love seeing that but it is it is easy to say like oh like what are you thinking that like that's obviously gonna fail but i yeah i do i do appreciate those moves yeah and they still had magnus court as a backup so yeah. it wasn't like 
they were just throwing everything at this one attempt, but it was a good, solid effort. And I like, Lechtison's a super talented rider, and I think could easily top 10 a stage race like Algarve and GC. Um, but I just don't reckon that he probably is in the best of form at the moment. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. We tend to, I feel like I'm making this up, but we tend to see the Northern European and Scandinavian riders come into fitness a little bit later into the year, you know? Yeah. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if he's a bit under in terms of, I don't like, I don't think he's near a peak at all. And, um, I thought, I just thought it was a good strategy for, you know, X to try. Yeah. I, I appreciate that. He's somebody who did, did well at the Giro last year. Um, yeah. He was in he was in pink for a little bit from what I from what I remember, but yeah, he yeah. got second on stage. I can't remember. It was like one of the first few mountain stages with stage four. I think he came second. Okay, and, then and kept it for kept it for a, a good little bit, but yeah, he would be somebody with Uno X getting the tour invite this year. If I like, he would yeah, be going to the he tour. would be somebody that Uno X could build a team around along with uh, Tobias Johannesson, who... Yeah, uh, he's quick. He's, he's quick, really, yeah. Really he's strong. A, I mean, yeah, he's, he's, a, he's a well-rounded rider as well, it seems like. He had yeah, that, he's, which... He's always just been like a little bit of a fringe rider, though, like always there but right. never good enough to be with the best. Yeah. Um, winner of winner of Lavenier. Um, 2021. Yeah. Or, so, yeah, 21. Yeah. yeah. But no, an he's interesting. An interesting definitely, guy. Ooh. Definitely deserves leadership at the tour for Uno X. Yeah. But I think, Looks- you know, where Uno X is for this year, they're probably going to do... Um, a team with Magnus Court, Lechnitsen, um, Tobias Johannesson, Warenskold, Warenskold, Tiller probably, um, and Kristoff, I would guess. Yeah, I would guess Kristoffel. He's got to be close to retirement soon. Yeah, for sure. He's, I think he'll probably see out his. Let's see. He's thirty-six. He signed through the end of 2025. I'm guessing that's probably it. I would yeah, love to a, see him he, direct. He's one of those um, riders who I could see. I could see doing that. He's kind of like a Valverde in that he's just he's stayed good for so long. Yeah, like he was quite still good last year. It still wouldn't surprise me to see him win a Tour de France stage. Mm-hmm. Like if you saw him or or like come top 10 at a, at a monument or something like that. You'd be like, Oh yeah, that's, that makes sense. But yeah, I, he's somebody that like Valverde, I could see either fulfilling that director role or just being a team captain for next three, three years or so. Yeah. I would just love to see him like transition from rider to DS at Uno X. Yeah. Just, how, just like, just to keep help bringing that team up closer to world tour. Yeah. They've got a. They've they're close, especially with the the current strategy of or the current ranking of 
relegation and promotion and stuff like that, they they have a they have a pathway up there, I think. Yeah, I'm sure they're not far off and going into what's the next 2025 is the next end of 2025 is the next yeah. relegation cycle, I believe. I haven't followed the points at all, but I think it's I think it's it's definitely not this year. It's it's I think it's next year at the at the earliest. Yeah, I think it's next year. But I mean, teams like Arkea and Kofidis are going to be struggling to maintain that license compared to these, like Uno X, Israel, uh, lot of... Israel. Yeah, Israel is probably going to go back to World Tour. I would I would guess they seem to have gotten their gotten their shit figured out as as far as yeah not signing a whole bunch of has beens. I mean, they still have they still have a team with with high salaries and low results mm-hmm. like the Fugel Sangs and Chris Frooms and whatnot. But yeah, they they have a they have a team that has some some potential as well. Yeah, they do. They do. And but and Lotto's got Arnold Dully who could bring bring them all the way up to the world tour. Yeah, absolutely. You could. But anyway, back to the Alta Defio, the, the stage two of Volta Algarve. Um, yeah, as you said earlier, Danny Martinez, um, super impressive, I thought. Yeah, he launched he launched early too. At least what's it seemed early for a a mountaintop sprint, and yeah, it was a group of like five to 10 of these, of these strong riders. And Remco was really the only one who could follow Martinez. Yeah. And Martinez was just a little bit quicker over the last 150 meters, which is what we expect between the two of them. Um, so he took the win on the same time, but it's Danny Martinez did win this race last year when he was still on Ineos. I just like to see that he's, um, still at a really high level on Bora. Um, just because you never know when these marquee guys switch teams, you never know what what can happen, and it's just good to see that he's uh, he's still quite good. And yeah, he's everything he's, seems to be working well at Bora, and there doesn't seem to be any issues, at least yet. Yeah, there's maybe some some potential challenge ahead. He and Higita seem seem like similar riders Mm -hmm. i and i think they have a similar calendar at least this year Um, yeah that that yeah because higita came fourth after kind of helping lead him out too yeah uh sepkos was sandwiched in between remco and higita in third which was also good good result i think sep's demeanor has changed a little bit after winning oh yeah welta i get that impression a lot i get i get the impression that he is uh he has, a little the, bit, he has the bug now. Yeah, he's a little bit more keen to to fill that leadership role. Yeah. Um, I just think that maybe he doesn't think too much about it now. Uh, he just looked quite comfortable and he looked good, which was really nice to see. Because I just know that when he did end up winning the Vuelta, he wasn't the biggest fan of being a leader. He talked about it in a lot of interviews and podcasts after the Vuelta about some slight discomforts being in that leadership position for the yeah. team. 
um, not just in the within the team, but also like the media attention. Um, but it's cool to see him taking that up at a race like Algarvin, looking looking pretty good. Yeah, another rider that I was happy to see up there was Teo Gegenhart. He yep. he broke his spine or no broke his hip, hip. one of those two in the in the Giro last year. Yeah, and this is his first first race back on a new team moved from Ineos to little Trek, and yeah happy to happy to see him doing well he's always he's a fun rider to to watch i think seems yeah, to be he's... a good, good mix of that sort of he knows what makes cycling special and he he has a respect for the sort of old head culture but he's also a modern rider and he's not yeah. he's not always complaining about the way races are ridden or or how everybody doesn't have respect or things like that which we've seen from garrett thomas a little bit like yeah teo i think fulfills fulfills his role very well as is a a sort of leader of the peloton yeah um i think trek was also probably happy to see that he's in good shape right now oh yeah i mean because... that's that's got to be a gamble signing somebody who hasn't raced since the Giro to yeah well they signed him before the Giro too yeah so they which was honestly the best signing they've probably ever made um they signed him pre-Giro and before his crash he was looking like he could potentially win the Giro um or he was gonna at least help Geraint probably a little bit more um probably give would have given Geraint a better chance at winning. Um, but I think that he was like same tier as those guys in terms of climbing performances. So them making that signing without even seeing that performance yet was super impressive because clearly Trek was looking to sign a GC guy, not just a GC guy, but a Grand Somebody Tour winner. Win Grand Tours, yeah. Yeah, so um, Teo's a bit of a a risk in terms of, yes, he's won a grand tour, but you know, when you're signing him, you don't really know if he can ever really do it. If it's not a COVID grand tour, right. um, especially when, you know, I'm sure Trek was flirting with the idea of Roglic as well. Yeah. Um, they seemed, they seemed to, there were, I mean, there were teams who seemed to really want Roglic and I think Trek was a name that you got, heard thrown around along with Ineos yeah. and Bora it seemed like was just at the last second you're like oh Roglic might be going to Bora but yeah but I um, think yeah but I think for Trek it's like okay we can spend two million maybe a year million and a half to two million a year on a rider like Teo or six million and get a 34 year old 33 34 year old Roglic um so I think they made the good good call, and I'm glad to see that he's healed and recovered yeah. okay. So I'm hoping that yeah. he can carry on and keep climbing with the best. Because again, it's like it's nice to see him up at the front, but again, the climbing at Algarve isn't anything ridiculous. So right, we'll but just the company, just the company he was in is like, yeah. Well, if 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 Remco could have dropped Teo, he would have. True. Um, and or or same thing with Sepp or Martinez. 
And so the fact that he had that, that in his tank was, was good to see. And he, it, it, he performed better at that stage than he did the, the stages following, but still, a a good one to a good performance to see. Yeah, absolutely. There were also some other performances that I picked out on stage two were the Neo pro duo of Morgado and Christian Yeah, on UAE that they both had really impressive performances. Christian tried to attack and made it about two meters. <laughs> it was pretty funny. He like came flying like fifth from fifth or sixth wheel. And I think it was Landa just moved right over on him. Like, he tried to, it was just kind of funny to see. And then of course the counters went and he was, he wasn't gone. He still finished 14th place, only 22 seconds down, but uh, yeah, he got spat after that, but it was still impressive from the pair of them. Yeah. These, uh, these Neo pros on, on UAE seem to seem to be doing well. Uh, those two on that climb were impressive. The other rider that really impressed me from UAE was Isaac Del Toro who's already won, he won a stage of down under, but he came fourth on the time trial behind Remco, Magnus Sheffield, and Stefan Bis- uh, Stefan Kung, as uh, the the 20-year-old who won, uh, won Tour Lavenier last year. Super yeah. strong climber, and obviously a, a good time trialist as well, somebody who could, who could have, a, have a grand tour in his, in his future. Yeah, I think so. I think UAE is definitely taking taking a look at him for kind of like the next G Grand Tour guy. Um, I was a bit surprised to see. I don't know if I missed it or something, but where he went on stage two. Um, yeah, I'm trying, you, to, trying to remember. He did. He he did something. I think, uh, but then he he just wasn't there on the he he got dropped on the final climb. Yeah, I, he finished what I sixty second, um, well down. But, yeah, um, I, he he may have. I was may he have dealing getting, with flat tires that day? No, that was the. I was thinking that that was the first day. Um, okay. I mean, who knows? He could have. He could have had more of more of those. But that was the the first day was when he had like two or three flats. At the at once or not at once during yeah, the, in like the short succession, but yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah. So I, and he, he was probably, I think doing work for, um, for his, his teammates um, after, after flatting and maybe potentially losing time on stage one. I don't think he was their protected rider, um, but yeah. So, Superb all around from the from the UAE young lads in that in that race. Yeah, they're going to be really fun. I hope they can kind of keep them together for you know the next like three to four seasons, mm-hmm. just to see how they kind of grow and work together. Because yeah. um, eventually, at some point it'll be hard. But yeah, eventually, and I like we're dealing with this on the on the women's side right now. Like we the three or four. I would say three of the world's best riders are all on the same team. Lorena Weeks, yeah. Lada Kopecky, Demi Vollering. And they're getting to the point where they're kind of over 
significantly overlapping in their ability. And I think the battles would be so much more fun to see them on different teams than to just see. I mean, imagine like Pogacha and Vingago on the same team and like, like Pogacha is the just rides everybody off of their wheel. And then Vingago wins Pogacha second. Like that's basically what it looks like is going to be the case for the Tour de France for the Tour de France femme this year yeah um because yeah, they're both that, strong climbers but it's i'm glad that the men's side doesn't have an sd works um because sd works the, clearly has yeah the most money by a long shot yeah you and, would need you would need i mean Enios and maybe even yumbo is sort of the the closest that you would have right now but yumbo is not nearly as as or UAE, which are sort of the two most dominant teams on the men's side, they're not nearly as powerful as SD Works as far as no, because you would. There are a couple things though at play too. I mean, there's like on the women's side, the, you have a reduced calendar is is the main thing. So you can you, have, you can have fresh, you can bring your A team to more races. Yeah, and also I think that the the gap between talent is a lot larger from the top to like the top 1% to the top 5% in the women's pro peloton yeah. is a much bigger gap than in the men's. I think. Right. That, and I think a lot of that comes down to salary. Like there's, there's a, a big portion of the women's peloton that's getting paid ridiculously low amounts of money. Yeah. And so SD works is able to treat their riders like exactly. professional athletes and let them do these expensive training camps and mm-hmm. bring them to the races they need to do and pay them good amounts of money that yep. it's right. It's like the gripe with SD works. It's not that we don't need it to exist. It's we need every other team every, to get everybody on. else needs to get, needs to get better. Yeah. Yes, exactly. So we need everyone to be as good as SD works and yeah. have or as at much least money. people, people be able to compete with them. Like I think UAE, has apparently offered um, Demi Vollering a, a million euro salary, which would be the the highest paid rider um, on the women's side, and I think that would be a good thing because if that's setting a if that's setting the like bar, then whoever is comes after Demi Vollering is like, well, now you, you're going to need to you're going to need to raise it because I'm beating True. I'm beating Demi. So yeah, I think I think as much as I don't like those the sponsors of those Middle East teams, like they've got UAE, money, they've got <laughs> money and they, yeah. if they can improve women's cycling, I think that's a, that's a good thing. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's the one thing about cycling, like as a sport on all sides, both men and women, we are always strapped for cash. I think yeah. just in general compared to every you, other. It's a hard sport to make money from because you don't yeah. you don't sell tickets, you don't have arenas. Yeah. You don't really sell merch either. Yeah. Um or at least not even close to like a like team an NFL sport. team or a yeah. Premier League team or something like that. So, yeah, it is a hard sport to make money on, but having the Middle Eastern sponsors, I mean they're everywhere now. They're in so yeah. many so many teams have been almost taken over by these middle eastern sponsors now but 
and there's nice. talk of the this one cycling the mm-hmm. Saudi backed league coming, yeah. which I don't I don't see much. I think it's just going to be what it sounds like right now is just another hammer series. Yeah, like they're talking about three day stage. Yeah, where three day stage races where the team well, wins instead of the individual. Yeah, it's and it's like fine. It's of, just like these teams can just go there and get their money and leave. Yeah, but like, you're we'll never watch it. But. Yeah. You're not, nobody's ever going to get paid the salary. Like Jonas and Demi and Pogaccia, they are earning, they're the top, they are among the top earners because they win the Tour de France and because you have more eyeballs on the Tour de France than you do the one cycling league or, or whatever yeah. it might be. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's funny where you talk now, like Roglic signed the biggest contract in terms of straight salary um we've ever seen in cycling uh six million a year just that is like bare minimum for any other sport in the world for 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 big for big sports for the big sports yeah Yeah. sorry um like the mlb like minimum is like a million a year yeah so you have guys that don't even touch the field and they're making that much but it's like, you know, the biggest players in the world are like Shohei, Shohei Otani's deal was $800 million, nearly $800 yeah. million. So it's just it's, so that's funny. That's nuts. Can you imagine? Yeah. It's $800 I mean, million. even like, like a hundred times less than that. Well, I guess it's not, it's not 800 million a year that he's getting. That'd be, that'd be insane. But no, but, no, no. But like an $80 million which is 10 times an $80 million cycling yeah. deal would be insane. Like, it would be nuts. I can't imagine anybody like that might be what a rider like Pogaccia makes over the course of five, 10 years. Like it, yeah. Like, or no, it'd be even more. It'd be, it'd be like, be like 12 years of his, his just best, salary. Yeah. His best, 12 years would be yeah it's pretty wild all right anyway back to the um back to the tto at algarve yeah uh remco Evenepoel, world champ i mean he crushed it um he won by 16 seconds over sheffield and then another 30 to coom no real surprises there other than sheffield i think yeah sheffield was a i mean I didn't expect him to do that well. I know he's a strong time trialist, but mm. um, yeah, beat some beat some strong some strong riders up there. Um, and yeah, like we said, Del Toro as well. Didn't expect Sheffield to beat to beat Ghana either. Yeah, but, Ghana's been struggling with form though. I think. Yeah, I think he's. I think he's looking. T- He's such a such a beast at the time trial that you're like, oh, again, is there? You can win everything. But I think he's, I think he's peaking for different things this year, and he's sort of like, yeah. He's, I mean, he finished second on GC by two seconds at Delgarve last year, and he like was on everyone's kind of list as a favorite for Tour Down Under, and he showed up there and was struggling from the gun and right. he was struggling at Algarve. And I don't think that it's a 
I'm not saying Ghana's done for. I think people just have to be realistic sometimes and be like, okay, it's it's February. It's the middle of right. February. Like last year he was flying at the beginning of the year. Great. This year, maybe he's on a completely different trajectory. There's probably a lot of uh, work he's doing for the Olympics and the track team. Uh, so I don't think we're going to expect to see him on the same form that we did last year. Um, yeah. At least not right now. Maybe towards towards the Olympics, but even then he's could be so hyper-focused on the track stuff that it doesn't translate to the road. Yeah. But you never know. He's one I really want to see at Roubaix again. Yeah. I think that's a that's a race. And he, he podiumed uh San Remo last year, which I don't see I don't see him doing this year. I don't think he's on that form right now. No um, way. But yeah. but he could he came sixth at Rupe last year. He he could uh he could be a, a good sneaky rider for Ineos there. Not that he can definitely he can sneak around all that well being whatever yeah, right. yeah. seven feet tall but yeah meter 95 he's huge yeah but yeah he, he ended up sixth in the tt which i mean still isn't bad um yeah matea Cantonao, cantoneo sorry for uh fifth but yeah, i think magnus second that was quite a good result yeah um Wout's a little bit, a little bit further down in eleventh. I think Wout. I'm just excited about in terms of uh, the classics because I think that they're, I think he's taking it, you know, taking it smart and he's doing a bit of a slow, slow ramp up of yeah building form and he's gonna. I think he's gonna be flying by Flanders and Roubaix. Uh, yeah, I don't want to see him win Omloop. I don't want to see him win Kern because if he wins those, he's like oh. Shit, you're <laughs> where's that form going to be in two months, buddy? Like, yeah, but exactly. I think I th- like I think he is going into it level headed and he he seems to have been very thoughtful throughout the winter and what cyclocross races he does, what he doesn't do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm I'm interested to see where that where that lands him and to see what he does in the Giro as well. I don't I don't yeah. see him being a GC contender at all in the Giro. Um, no. you know, there's, there's talk of that, but I, I don't see that happening, but stage wins will be fun. And then, and then obviously Olympics down the road, but yeah, yeah. 11th in the time trial, um, after winning the, winning the stage before in the sprint, not a, not a bad performance, but not, not something to write home about. No, but you know, again, I think, as you said, I think he's learned a little bit from the last few years about prepping for the classics. And it seems like he's being very, uh, very particular about his prep this year. So I'm excited to see what it, what it comes down to in, in April. Yeah. Um, and then final, final stage of the Elgarve, um, similar ish two up sprint. Yeah. Yeah. Similar ish to, the second stage, less climbing, but that finished climb of two and a half K at 10%. So similar faces were there and same winner. Danny Martinez out sprinted Remco again. Um, now, no real surprise there. Um, Remco just wanted to make sure he didn't lose time because 
Remco had taken nearly a minute on Danny Martinez in the TT, so he had GC yeah. wrapped up. Um, and Danny Martinez was still definitely the strongest at the top. Uh, I, I read in an interview that supposedly Remco, his front derailleur wasn't working, and so he was stuck in the big ring. And that's why he uh, he kind of had a slower windup. And yeah, he's couldn't, still was going to lose. But yeah, yeah. I still, um, I think he's got a he's got a punch. Like he's gone head to head with Roglic in uh, some of the races last year. But mm-hmm. Danny Martinez, I think, has an opportunity to show the kind of punchy rider that he is that we saw on EF. That yeah, when he was on NES, he sort of fulfilled that domestique role. But yeah, no, he's quick. He's really quick. And the, for example. This stage this morning, he opened it up at like 400 meters to go. Well, Remco opened it up, but he at about then. And but Danny Martinez kept it really hard and then able to like snap again with like 150 meters to go and really accelerate towards the line. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, he's showing how quick he is, which like for me, Danny Martinez had the more impressive Algarve than Remco did because Remco pretty much just didn't get dropped on the climbing stages and then won the TT, which is of no surprise. And I, I feel bad already for saying this because, you know, Remco's 23 years old, 24 now, and we just expect so much out of him that this is like a, not the most impressive performance from him, even though he won. Right. But I think that, um, like for me, he just did what he needed to do to win, and he went, didn't go above and beyond, and didn't need to go above and beyond, you know. Yeah, I think, and and for a race in February, maybe that's what that's all that you really need. Maybe that'll change as we get closer to the tour. Mm-hmm. But he is a rider that seems to go by the play, like, and the playbook can be exciting sometimes. Like it is, yeah. it is fun to be like, oh shit. Remco's going with 75k to go left in this race. What can he keep this? And then you're like, 10k later, you're like, oh yeah, he has a five minute gap. He's fine. Yeah, <laughs> but he doesn't. He and admittedly, when things go wrong, like it did in the Vuelta last year, he's able to change it up. But he doesn't sort of have the the kind of rider intuition that Pagacha has, where he's like like just going to make, make these attacks when he, when he feels like it or when it, when it comes to him, it's going to be something that he's planned out beforehand. Yeah. Well, I also think, you know, he looks at Algarve, which he's won twice before. Um, and he's just, okay. It's a five day stage race. Climbing's not too hard and there's a TT. So in his head, it's like, just don't get dropped from the leaders on the climbs. Um, and like he attacked for the win, like he went for the stage win both days on stages two and five. Right. right. Um, and he did, he did better than so many, than a lot of other, I mean, he came yeah. second. So it's, it's not like he was like content with a group finish. Right. But for him, he's just like, okay, the TT, like that's all he's really looking at in terms of the difference maker. And that's right. all he needed to do. So good on him. Yeah. I was just looking at the, uh, the standings of the the GC the, who's who's won the GC at the Volta uh, Algarve 
mm-hmm. the last couple of years, last five years. And there's one name that one name that stands out there. Uh, so it's all it's Remco has won it three times, 24, mm-hmm. 22, 20. Danny Martinez uh-huh. won it in 2023. Do you know who the winner was in 2021? Was it Adam Yates? Is Joao Rodriguez? Oh, W fifty two. W fifty two. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Just doped to the gills. Yeah. Suspended. So he won it. He's he's suspended until twenty twenty nine. Now. <laughs> okay, so his career but, is over. But yeah, it took it. I was like, I was like, who is this guy? Is he a is he a young Portuguese rider? I don't know. Nope. <laughs> he won it in twenty one from Ethan Hader. Uh, by by nine seconds. But yeah, I was like, huh, interesting, interesting name, Joao Rodriguez. Suspended. Yep. Suspended too. <laughs> yeah. That team was electric. Yeah. Eight it's watts hilarious. per kilo up every climb. Just yeah, just I just blood like like oatmeal. Yeah, I like I remember all of Lantern Rouge's um, like analysis videos that he would do about these races, and he's like these performances are just so insane. Yeah. Like guys literally doing seven a kilo for 20, 25 minutes at the end of a stage race. Have and, you heard anything about these? Uh, the like I can't remember what they're calling it, but like the doping Olympics where they're gonna it's like they're trying oh, to yeah. put together an Olympics where yeah. they're gonna allow doping. There's no there's no doubt in my mind that Portugal is gonna is gonna win the just cycling going, event. Yeah. Just just at like any climb, there's some Portuguese rider that can do like if he doesn't die, he can do yeah. like superhuman numbers. Yeah. Do that... like like five hundred watts and weigh like hundred and fifty. <laughs> yeah less even 140 pounds yeah, yeah just but yeah those doping olympics are so funny to me because whoever is gonna do them can't be involved in any type of real athletic governing body right they can't no. be involved in any real professional yeah. sport which, which means that, which means that the doctors are gonna be like these back alley yeah like they're not gonna be like because nobody's gonna nobody's gonna like be like oh yeah who's your doctor like oh yeah it's and you go San Milan, like <laughs> no like, doctor yeah. at UAE, like they're like, oh, I can't, yeah, I can't no. say like like so many people are gonna just like the comeback die. of Michelle Ferrari, man, yeah, yeah. But it is just funny. I think it's just this super mediocre guy from the U.S. who was never a good enough athlete was probably just thought his whole life that if he doped, he would be good enough. So now, yeah, he's like a millionaire and wants to put on this Olympics where, yeah everyone dopes and it's like what's what i'm hoping for is that they they go and they get all these doped athletes and they're still worse than the world which is best. Where, which i would think is like what's yeah. going to happen because it's i think there is i mean i guess if there's, it's there's probably unlimited some, like there's probably so like if you're if you're miguel angel lopez and they're offering you a major salary you might as well be like, yeah, there's no way I'm competing in the world tour ever again. Sure, I'll. Yeah, I guess they are just. I don't know. Or it's Joao Rodriguez. Yeah, he's. 
He's gonna be. He's already. He's probably already trained for it in the past five years. Yeah. He's ready to I'll go. Just, I hope there's no like like twenty year old kid who like is like oh. podiums and it's like oh this this is a, a great thing for me. I got a got a bronze medal at the at the Olympics. The doped Olympics. I don't yeah. know. It seems just like the losers Olympics. Yeah, but it'll be. I I don't. I hope it doesn't come to fruition just because I think it's, the dangers for the athletes are so. Yeah. Big. I think that's something people don't don't get is that it's not yeah. just like people being boring. Like, no, we need it's we need to keep sport pure. It's like, no, this is there's inherent dangers to filling your body with chemicals and yeah, doing these superhuman feats. Yeah. Also, we do need to keep sports pure. Yeah. And yeah. like, I think there's this dude is probably just pissed that he wasn't genetically gifted enough to be an athlete, but like. I'm sorry. That's part of it. Like right. that's part of being a professional athlete is you kind of have to be a little bit lucky, right? Yeah, that's a that's a, a really big part of it. I think which I think <laughs> like, people don't people don't appreciate as much. No, like it's it it's more than just hard work. Like no. you can you can make it to the top level being a hard worker, but if you if you're winning any competitive sport, but especially something like cycling, running, swimming, you're going to, mm-hmm. you have to be so genetically gifted yeah. that it's not, it's not just like, Oh, if I was, if I was taking the, the, uh, and, and anti-inflammatory drugs that they were taking, if I was taking more Benadryl, I would, uh, right. Yeah. Yeah. Just, oh yeah. The guy who's just wanting to put it on just seems like that kind of like such a loser. Like, right. Or just t- takes it, takes that, it like a Twitter idea, and it's like, oh, that's a great idea. Might as yeah. well do. That. It's like, oh, I bet if I doped in my career, I would have been good enough. Like, and then it opens the floodgates where it's like, everyone should just dope. Like, what's the yeah. point to not to? And yeah, it's just so dumb. Because anyway, we'll see. Hopefully, it doesn't happen. Yeah. What are we? Uh, right. What are we looking forward to coming up? Uh, coming up this week, we got UAE tour. Uh, yeah, which it's. I don't know. I don't, I, it's a, we talked about this a little bit before the performances are, are impressive there, but it's never that exciting of a race. No, but, but no. I, it's good to see who's where people are at. Um, and see some potentially, uh, strong climbers get, get recognition on Jabal Jais and Jabal Hafeet. So I think that'll, that'll be mainly what I'm looking forward to there. I'm excited for the Brandon McNulty, Adam Yates, one, two, on Jabal feet. They're going to go so hard. Man, that's... I think, if I'm being honest, I think Brandon probably has a better chance than Adam Yates. Although, they might make him work, but I think seeing Brandon posts his power publicly on Strava, and it is unreal like it's yeah. so good so i think if you protect him and let him go from like 4k out on four or five k out on jabel hafeet and just say okay do seven watts a kilo i think you could do it and just yeah sit at I think, 470 watts but i don't know adam is just he's done well i'm getting i i always combine him and simon in my head and i'm like yeah oh he's won all these uae races but he hasn't he won tour of oman i guess it was yeah but, um which was a, um, quite impressive. He did six point eight 
watts per kilo up that final climb in Oman where he beat Jan Hurt. But yeah, but yeah, Jan Hurt's not Brandon McNulty. So no, and um, I think McNulty them being teammates, and they also have Jay Vine. <laughs> yeah, oh, it's just a watt per kilo monster. <laughs> yeah, there's they UAE finds riders for Jubel Hafid. I feel yeah, like. right. Like they 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 bought Tade Pogaccia knowing that he would do well in Jubel Hafid, and then when he won the Tour de France, they're like, "Oh, this is amazing. Mm-hmm. He could do two things." But <laughs> he could do two uh, things. Yeah, Riccatello but, will be fun. Yeah. Um, there's a couple of other guys that I'm just excited to see how they go against the level that will eventually be. I think. Like I think it's going to be a six point. 6.5 to 6.7 in that realm. Uh, maybe a little less because it was about that when it was like Pogi versus Adam Yates and Simon Yates. Or yeah. was it? It was versus Adam Yates on Ineos, I think, in 2021. I think, I think, that, I think that was right, yeah. Um, so that was about the level. So I think it'll be a little bit right about there, even higher, which is so so impressive but i just want to see where some of these guys stack up if they can stay with all the way to the end or where they are in relation to the eventual winner which i think will be either mcnulty or yates yeah Uh, but like seeing how ben o'connor does and how um riccatello i'm excited to see riccatello yeah i'm bummed with surf or Lasser is not yeah. there. He's doing he's doing Rwanda again this year on the mm-hmm. on the Devo team. But he'd be a fun one just to see where he competes because it's not it's not that hard of a race. He no. you can send you can send Lasserf to it. Uh, right. But yeah, we'll see. There's still there's still so many so many talented guys there. It'll be it'll be fun to check out. Yeah, I'm excited. Should be good. All right. And T uh, minus one week. Minus one I'll week. Look. Next week we'll be we'll be back. Looking forward to. Well, I guess it'll be it'll be done by then, won't it? We'll uh, we'll be talking about how Omloop went. Yeah, we'll talk about UAE for maybe ten minutes. I think. Yeah. We'll chat about Jabel Hafid and then we'll talk about just, Omloop. Just Omloop. Yeah, it'll be a yeah. three-hour podcast. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All, All right. right. Thanks, Henry. Yeah. Thanks, Gordy. See ya.